Welcome to the Explorations Podcast, conversations about life, philosophy, the arts, and more. I'm Luis Hernandez, and I'm joined by my fellow co-hosts, Edwin and Joe. Fellas, how are you guys doing today? Doing good, feeling doing great. Good. Today, feeling our, good. Convers- our conversation is about education and ignorance. Um, the dichotomy between the two, and we're going to take a look at education from all sorts of angles. I'm really looking forward to talking to you guys about this particular topic. To start us off, um, Edwin, I wanted to propose a very simple question to kind of anchor this conversation, but just, I want you to just, from your experience, um, to define education. Last week, we had a great conversation about the life well lived, and you um, you set us down a great pathway of just talking about knowledge, the importance of knowledge, and and utilizing knowledge as a, as a tool to empower ourselves. Um, and I, yeah, so I guess for me, to just start off with why this conversation about education, um, my experiences with my nieces and nephews during the pandemic and seeing remote learning and just, it, it was a terrible experience, like mm-hmm. just watching them kind of engage in this remote learning experience. That has made me think really hard about education, about the future generation. And so Edwin, can you just start us off like, what is education from the context of of the future generation and, and for lifelong learners? Why is this important? Why should we be taking a step back and, and talking about education? Yeah, it's, this is a great question, um, Lewis. And I'm gonna define it in two ways, really. Um, and we'd, we'd love to hear you guys' um, thoughts on this. Um, recently give credit to uh, Zach Stein who's done a lot of work around this where he defines education as the intergenerational transmission of knowledge Mm -hmm. right um and what that means is and we don't really see it this way because we're in the midst of it what what that means is for you to sustain a society right right you 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 always hear the phrase standing on the shoulders of giants right for you to progress if you believe in that term, you need to be able to transfer the knowledge that you currently have in place to the next generation. So that, so that generation can build on it. So it, it, it's, 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 it's almost like, I almost see it as a dialogue uh, in time, right? And so, so education is the way that we speak to our ancestors about what has been and what should be. It's the way values are transmitted. It's the way information is transmitted. It's, it's what makes us human in a lot of ways, right? Uh, it's like, it's our soul. Because if you, everyone has seen the movie or cartoon Tarzan, right? It, if you grow up in the jungle without society, yeah. as a human being, what, is, what are you left with, right? You, you, have, you have no language, no... You lose tens of thousands of years of knowledge that has been built. So, so education from that perspective is, is the way we have the, uh, uh, the future generation continue this quest of progress. So I take, I take this very, very seriously, right? This is, this is to me, education is everything. Um, and then the, the second way I would define it is as a distinction from pop, uh, propaganda. And that's another of, of Stein's work. And 
we see propaganda happening today, but uh, education versus propaganda, right? Because in a lot of ways, information is being flowed um, to influence, right? Um, but I would, you know, joke and speak better to this, but uh, education gets is, is about the truth, right? So if I'm a teacher and I'm an educator and you're my student, my goal is for you to know to know everything I know and more, mm. right? And propaganda, right, or marketing, whatever you want to call it, is 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 the opposite. Mm. I I want to maintain the power dynamic. So my goal there is for you to actually not know much. I, you just need to take on the information that I give you. It's about control. Uh, so that's another way of thinking about it. But uh, I would love to, especially when it comes to truth, love to get Joe's thoughts on some of that as well. No, oh, yeah, it's it's fascinating because in your description, Edwin, particularly towards the latter end of that description, in relation uh, or teasing out the relation between power and truth, mm -hmm. um, I I can't help but think of the postmodern philosopher uh, uh, Foucault. Michel Foucault, the French thinker who made such a splash back in the 60s and the 70s. You couldn't go to a bookstore in Paris without seeing his uh, very unique face, his bald head, <laughs> uh, the, the very well-known debate between him and Chomsky and others. Uh, tabling that just for a moment, the reason why I think of him is because he um, speaks of truth in relation to power and how truth is in fact a form of power um and and you know notwithstanding some of his own critiques and whether or not they're viable in light of certain philosophical traditions i think it is something to consider and in fact when we think of education and we thinking uh, and when we begin to think about something like propaganda um we need to in fact pause i think or slow down a bit and think about the philosophical assumptions that underpin even our definitions whether or not we are cognizant of how these words are are being used and and whatnot so for example we hear the word propaganda um uh and as it is construed as the sort of just receive and, and digest what i'm saying uh take it as truth and that's it and that definitely could be construed as a form of propaganda ideologically driven maybe but we would also need to think about okay but but what is truth right um, and 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 whatnot, and um, you know, again, I, I, the reason why I'm like smiling and smirking because I, I hear many of the philosophers in my mind right now <laughs> wanting yeah. to to say something about that, and the theologians um, uh, to to speak of it. But I'm a fan of of Thomas Aquinas. I'm a fan of the classics of the classical philosophers like Plato and Aristotle, and so you know, truth. I take it is the mind's ability to be conformed to reality the mind's conforming to reality to what is truth is that which is that which corresponds to being as such so very quick and clear example if i ask you lewis lewis where do you live and lewis is like yeah i live in bayridge brooklyn i'm like bro are you lying to me <laughs> are you lying to me and, and i and i and i what i mean by that is what you're articulating doesn't resonate with what is mm. right that that's a lie 
And so if we think about the conversion of that or the, the, the converse of that rather, right, truth then is what corresponds to reality, to, to, to being. I think it's, it's beautiful to reflect on that in light of education because then that positions us to think about, okay, what is the role of the educator? What is the dynamism in which we, we need to reflect on um, as we think about the relationship between the educator and the students, right? The transmission of knowledge, the intergenerational transmission of knowledge, mm. which again, this is by way of providence. I see Edwin's beautiful daughter in the background. <laughs> we hey, gotta Grace. bring in the next generation. She, she can't hear me. She can't hear Hi. me. I know probably, but, but it's intergenerational and like, boom, there she is. Yep. <laughs> you know, but, but there, there's much, there's much to be said about that. Um, but yeah, I, I, we'll we'll go into it. A my bit more. my first question, just hearing what what you both kind of shared, is to what extent is it like the what you know mm. more important than like how you know? You know, because you guys are also describing like the way in which one educates themselves, right? Like like the method, but then there's also the importance of like the the what you know the 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 things themselves, the facts that is important to know. In your example about like where do I live, like you, you, yeah. it's from what you knew. Like you know that I don't live in Brooklyn, and so yeah. therefore, like if you didn't know that, or like to the average listener, they didn't understand. Like wait, like I didn't know that he doesn't live in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. Yeah. So my question is: Is there what's the relationship between the the what you know and the how you know? And is there like as as an educator from an educator's perspective is there an emphasis like is one more important than the other like what's the relationship between the two because i i feel like some systems or schools of thought may place an emphasis in one direction or the other that it's more important to just know facts versus like it's more important to kind of learn the 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 skills and the ability to to learn um yeah. whoever wants to start but yeah like, edwin you want to take you want to speak to that or, or do you want me to go ahead yeah i i can i struggle with this one right because um mm. it's yeah sort of quick like mini history on education um the uh our, our current educational system is built on a framework that was uh instituted in germany right mm. and some some people know this but uh the reason that uh Germany um, constructed this sort of or at least K-12 university system that we have today is, and this is different from, Joe can speak more to the left, like university as a, as a, as a formation out of, out of, out of uh, uh, theologians and so on during a time, but the K-12 system as we have like going from one grade to another and so on is a German invention. And they did it after, uh, the uh, soldiers on the field who were very, very educated, right? When Germany has some of the most educated people um, in the world. And they, they would be on the battlefield and they would contemplate either death or the right or wrong of what was happening. And they would flee. It was, you know, you know th there, there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing honorable about what I'm doing because as I think about this, this is wrong, right? Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, so what they said was that this was dangerous to have an entire army of philosophers, <laughs> right? And, and so what they did, what they did is say, we want 
our, we want our soldiers to know the things we want them to know. So the K-12 institution was, de was developed as, as a way to control minds. Mm. Right? Fascinating. And so it's like, I, we just need them to know math. We just need them to know science. We just, we need them to know the things that we need them to know. Now, now what happens with the military is that it developed, you know, military and corporations were tightly entangled in the past, right? We, we know this, right? In mm. terms of even the founder of the United States, you know, the Mayflower and so on, all, all the conquests that was happening, these were corporations, right? Mm. And what, what we have today is that corporations are the things that we prepare our minds for or whatever you want, or whatever organization, right? So we, and we are now saying the same things. It's not the military per se, but we're saying we need to prepare our minds so they have the skills to do this type of job in the future. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's the way we think of education. Mm -hmm. And I struggle with that, right? Especially knowing the, the, the sort of historical context of our, of our K-12 system. Um, and to the point, point Joe is making around truth, the, the, you, can, you, can, you can be truthful, right? You can give facts and still, quote unquote, be providing propaganda because a partial truth is a form of propaganda. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, this is not like some, you know, a bunch of evil people sitting in the back scene saying these things, this is, you know, saying this is what we're going to do. We're, we're just, all we're doing is perpetuating the system that has been given to us. Right. Um, so I honestly, so I say that as a sort of left field, you know, we, we just need to be careful about how we actually understand the purpose of education today. Um, understand, going back to the fact that we're transmitting values, we're transmitting information and so on to the next mm -hmm. generation to prepare for something. And what that, what that something is, in my opinion, should be a life well lived. This is why we have this podcast. Mm -hmm. So I would, I would measure all things when it comes to education against that. And mm. uh, so, so, so when, when, when we start ticking off, like, oh, should we have computer skills and blah, 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 I, I start to get a little anxious about, about saying things like that because, um, w you know, which, which goal do you have in mind when you come, <laughs> when it comes to education? So, I love that, uh, Edwin, because you're, you're giving a, a, a teleological perspective of education. So for what that simply means, and, and this is that phrase itself has its Greek origins in Aristotle, is that you're saying, as we think of education, we ought to think of the particular goal, the end, and we need to keep the end in mind. And somehow that end ought to shape and inform how we approach it, right? Um, so if, if education is for the cultivation of a life well lived, then that should deeply shape um, the pedagogical approach, the how uh, we teach, uh, as well as what we teach, right? The truths and, and relation, the relation of truths to other truths and whatnot. Um, and so I think there's something deeply informative around that. Now, Lewis, when I hear you ask the question, you know, what is that relationship between the what? 
and and the how, and we could even think of the why. It's interesting because mm-hmm. Edwin, in a certain sense, brought in the the why, right? Mm-hmm. Especially uh, you know talking about the end goal here. I can't help but think of uh, uh, Plato's allegory of the cave, right? Paradigmatic uh, uh, for a certain view of education. You could find that, by the way, that allegory uh, in his work, The Republic, right? Classical piece of literature. Let me walk us very quickly through this allegory. Um, and just as a reminder, an allegory, right, is is essentially a, a narrative of story, a story of which the pieces, all the elements within the story have metaphorical significance, right? So they're pointing to something uh, uh, deeper than what the story itself is articulating, or rather, it has existential import. It could be applied to, to life. So it's a picture of something. Right. Uh, essentially, the allegory of the cave goes something like this. Uh, imagine... Uh, a cave in where there are folks who are imprisoned, they're chained, and they're chained down in such a way where they are only able to see the wall that is before them. And, you know, they are in this situation uh, for so long that they don't even know anything else besides what they are perceiving in front of them. So you can think of this as them being born into kind of bondage, born into a slavery. Uh, or the deep darkness of ignorance that has decisively removed any other possible awareness of things, mm-hmm. right? So, so, so imagine we have these prisoners, they're looking at the wall, they see shadows on the wall, uh, and they think this is reality. They, they, their knowledge, their awareness is landlocked to what is phenomenologically presented before them, right? These images, and, and, and this is it, this is life for them. One day, these, one of these prisoners, just one of the prisoners is set free. For the first time ever, he's able to kind of stand up and look around and sees behind him the source of light, the fire. And people, the puppeteers and, and people projecting these things. And uh, he's in complete shock and, and dismay, right? Because hitherto, he thought reality was just right the shadows on the wall. Mm. He's now seeing the source. This is interesting because now his eyes are, are hurting, right? Because his eyes have not, are not grown accustomed to the source of light being directly ingested. This is where we get the phrase, the truth hurts. Mm-hmm. Uh, the story goes on. He meanders his way outside of the cave. He didn't know he was in a cave the entire time. And for the first time ever, as he exits the cave, he sees the sun, the blue skies, the green grass, flowing water. And he's just completely, again, in shock, in disbelief. He thinks he's died. He can't, comp- he can't compute. He slowly comes to awareness and recognizes, my goodness, the entire time I was locked away in ignorance. And this is how it ends, where he now wants, this individual now wants to go back into the cave to let the other prisoners know that they're enslaved and that, that they're not seeing reality as such, but are only... Uh, being deceived, as it were, or seeing a small part of it. However, he gets to a point where he's unable to reach the prisoners, and so he's shouting to them. But to the prisoners, they just see a grotesque shadow projected Mm. on the wall uh, that's shouting to them, yo, you guys are being deceived. And (laughs) Plato, the author of this, says, if the prisoners had the capacity to, at this moment, if they were set free, the first thing they would do is kill that person Mm. because they think he's out of his mind. He's completely off his rocker. Now, this is Plato, in one sense, taking off his hat, tipping his hat to his great master and teacher, Socrates, who was killed 
by the machine state of Athens for, for being a philosopher, right? But for Plato, this entire allegory is representing, as it were, the power of education, right? And for Plato, education is the conversion of the soul, the essential self, mm. the real you, the intellectus, if you want to read it in a certain way, from the darkness of ignorance to the light of truth. And if we read carefully that allegory, we see um, education then is going to bring about a series of shock, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, uh, fear, disbelief, uh, uh, a natural reaction, like, no, nah, that can't be the truth, right? And a slow bringing about of, of the truth, and it's painful, uh, but that there's something liberating around that. Now, there's much more to say about the allegory, uh, but what that tells us is two things. Number one, truth is being able to see beyond mere sight. I'll say that again. Truth is being able, that's not the definition of truth, but, but rather the apprehension of truth, right? Coming to know the truth requires the mind to perceive what is merely, perceive more than what the empirical senses are just telling us. And, and I'll give a small example of this uh, in just a second. And the way truth is communicated uh, is is risk taking because the person who's now been in the intelligible world intelligible world of the forms has to now risk himself to go back into the cave to communicate it to others and right. it says something about a teacher that the teacher is risking her or his life as it were maybe even like in a visceral literal way but but maybe in, in other ways as well just to share the truth and that that's going to be a very difficult thing right for for those who are who are taking it in so the how um, says something about uh, a kind of uh, move that requires a, a sort of uh, a humility, a, a, a sort of a practicality, or that we need to be sensitive about how we are communicating this truth and whatnot. So, um, yeah, right? Th this, this idea that education is the conversion of the soul, if you will, from the darkness of ignorance to the light of truth, uh, I think is deeply paradigmatic for how we, we, we can think about education. Again, there's much more to say about that, but. Yeah, I, I mean, for my takeaway from this conversation so far, I think there's like a heavy emphasis should be placed, in my opinion, on the critical thinking skills required mm. to kind of break free from, from the chains as, um, as you put it in Allegory of the Cave. Um, to me, it's, it's, we also talked about propaganda and marketing. And then when you started talking about the, like the allegory of the cave, Joe, I keep thinking about cinema and like in video, like that experience of sitting looking at the wall and like, this is what you see and kind of getting lost in the wall, like in the frame. <clears throat> I think about video. And when I also think about propaganda, I also think about video, like it, it's like a major medium of communication. And I, and I, think in the role of education, um, video plays a big part, you know, like with propaganda and marketing and stuff, video plays a really big part in those things. It, it, it really does. Louis, let me just jump in for Go a ahead. second, because when you were saying that, what, what came to mind is what we were talking about in our previous episode and how you mentioned how editing is a kind of form of lying or mm -hmm. deceiving. Right. And how we can actually think of it, maybe not just in a purely negative sense of deception, but a way of curtailing and thus creating further space to communicate the truth. And so um, let's say from a cinematic perspective, cinema, movies, the arts, 
whatever medium uh, it, it is used uh, can be a powerful vehicle, as you are, I think, noting right now, to communicate and to educate, right? Um, so, yeah, it doesn't have to be the case that cinema de facto or the arts de facto is just read on literalistically to, let's say, the cave as just the shadows. Mm. Because the shadows, if we want to run with the example that you're saying, could in fact point to the outside of the world. Right. Through, through hints, <laughs> through illusions, through some sort of, you know, these, these kinds yeah. of fascinating moves, you know? It's and, always... I, I don't know what, I, and I don't know what all this is. I'm just doing this. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that, to me, that's like a representation of like an abstraction. Because yeah. the artist right. can't, you can't show reality. Because it's, it's never, it's mm. not reality. You know, like a painting, it's depicting something, but it's not mm. the thing that it's depicting. Like it's always going to have that abstraction in between. So like even in your allegory, yeah. the person comes back. It's not like in your example, the person's like showing themselves, like they're, they're also trying to create the puppets and they're also trying to like utilize the, the medium, the space around them to like yeah. communicate the truth that they saw because they can't bring the outside world into the cave, but they're trying right. to like, like there's a sun or, you know, like in your example, that's how I'm imagining it. They're, they're talking yes. about the truth, but they can't yes. bring the truth itself. Yes. Um, so, so yeah. can I can I just give like one salient example of of how this weird allegory um, can be mapped onto kind of the power of education? Let me just see if I can do this. Um, you know, let's say we took a trip to downtown Manhattan and we stood before uh, the World Trade Center, right? We stood before Freedom Tower, and I and I asked the both of you guys, what do you see? Right? Tell tell mm -hmm. me, describe to me what you see, right? And 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 what do you feel, right? What what is it? What is it generating? And you'll be able to do that, right? Uh, you'll say, oh, yeah, it's, it's yay tall. It looks like it's made with this, these materials. Th these are the kind of feelings that I have, especially knowing the history of it, and so on and so forth. But if someone is now brought into our little communion, our little community of looking at the Freedom Tower of the World Trade Center, this person is now trained. We don't know, but this person is actually educated in the field of architecture. Right. And architects are are really good at understanding the relationship between form and function. They've mm -hmm. done their homework. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? mm -hmm. um, and I asked the architect, what is it that you see? It's fascinating. The architect sees beyond sight. I'm using that intentionally. Right. The mm -hmm. architect sees as, as if the architect has like X-ray vision. Think of Superman here. Right. How? How is it afforded to them that they have this capacity? Ah, they've been educated. Mm. Their souls are able to actually go beyond what just merely appears, as important as that is, and recognizing that by virtue of its appearance, it must go this depth, right? This much, much into the uh, uh, ground. If mm. it's this high, if it's made of this material, then they know the internal structure must be comported in such a way they, mm. they're understanding the forces the tensor the right all of those things and they're able to articulate that and we're like wow how is it that you're able to see that ah mm. because they've been educated Interesting. and this is why plato will speak of education um in in this sort of uh positive dynamic terms that my goodness it gives us the ability to be free and grants us a greater capacity for joy, mm. which is interesting because when I share this with my students, um, they're like, wow, I didn't, I didn't think of it like that. And I say, but think about it, right? If we all, to use another example, if we were all sitting down watching a football game and none of us know what football is about, we may be able to enjoy it, but the one who knows 
what it takes, the kind of athleticism, the little bit of the statistics and things like that, they're able, they have, by virtue of their awareness, are able to have a greater degree of elation, right? Mm -hmm. It's like we see a, a, a Hail Mary play, right? 50 yards, they launch the ball. The brother caught it, does a flip, all these things. It's like, oh my gosh, that was amazing. But the one who's studied this and who understands what, what is needed in order to do those actions, they, they may say to the rest of the viewers, bro, I know you're excited, but you actually don't even know what you just saw. Like mm. what you just saw was insane. Mm. I know you don't know it. And so this is why Plato will say, no, no, no. Education grants us a deeper capacity for joy for happiness and i think this goes back to edwin's point about a life well lived and and thinking about well what is education for and how do we think about that in relation to such and such great example um I, i'm going to propose this question to you guys based on our conversation um if that is how we define like truth and education then what does it look like for someone whether it's someone in the K through 12, right? Like a child or an adult, mm. what does it look for someone to, to have a good education, to kind of embark on a journey of education that is, is fruitful for a life well-lived? What are some um, signs or, 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 you know, like things that we should be seeing um, pursuing that path of a good education? I can, I can jump in on that one. The, uh, it's weird because the first thing that came to mind when you asked that question was ignorance. Mm. Uh, the, some of the most educated people I know has, has, is able to see ignorance in themselves, right? And our society has gotten complex enough that it's impossible for you to have a truly Renaissance person. Right? We cannot know everything. There's more information in our world now than, than, the, than the capacity of even, you know, groups of people to understand. If they, if they spent their entire lifetime dedicated to understanding one, one or two things. And this is why when it comes to things like building rockets or um, building organizations, what, whatever it is, these complexities are such that you need hundreds if not thousands of people dedicated to become specialists in one particular area. Um, so the, an educated person in, in this world is, is one that, is, that sees ignorance all around them. And they're always asking questions. Uh, it, so from that, from that perspective, it's a continuous process, right? It's someone who, it, it's a habit almost. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a mindset. Um, and you, you look for signs of those habits, right? Is, so, is someone saying, how are they educating themselves? What are they picking up? And, edu you know, we, I think we all know this, but education does not end when you leave school. That, that, in fact, that institution, and we can talk about this later, that institution is quickly becoming um, obsolete. Right? Most of our education nowadays is happening in different ways. Um, and one of the most important ways is, is, is this... Uh, and in fact, uh, Joe and I had this amazing conversation years ago about the, the, the structure of dialogue and what, what does dialogue truly mean? This is, this, is, this is how you're educated, right? Someone who's hungry to, to engage in dialogue. Um, and, and it has very deep philosophical roots. But uh, 
that's yeah. that's that's what I would say. <clears throat> no, that it's it's man. I mean, your description, Edwin, is essentially the 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 mission statement of Socrates, mm. <laughs> um, right? The his famous statement, um, right? I I know that I'm the wisest person in the world precisely because I know I know and take ownership of that I know nothing. Mm. So what Socrates is offering us here is, is that the root of wisdom, the root of awareness um, is situated in, in, a, in a humble estimation of one's own awareness, right? Of one's own knowledge, right? Um, wisdom begins in the awareness of what one does not know. And so that's the reason why Socrates would position himself as, as a questioner and as a dialogue partner, right? We even have a certain form of questioning that's named after him called the Socratic method, mm. right? Um, and, and to see that as the, and it is not by accident that his own student, he had many pupils and, and youth that were following him, the, one of the more prominent one, Aristocles, we know him as Plato. It's not by accident that Plato, years later, uh, uh, starts his own school. Uh, many, in many ways, the, the, the university can trace its origins even beyond the Middle Ages and what the theologians were doing there and the philosophers, all the way back 2,500 years ago to Plato's Academy, and which is why any institution of learning we call the Academy, right? It's, a, it's an academy or, the, or academia. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, dude, without a doubt, right? Questioning, recognizing what we don't know, to your point that, that who, who can be a renaissance man, who can be a renaissance woman right now, uh, given the, the plethora of knowledge and information, right? So we then need to think about how do we systematize knowledge? How do we comport ourselves? What are the attitudes of, of the heart and of the mind, the proper dispositions that are needed? And I think these are important questions. I, I'm thinking about this for my own self too. Right from a place of vulnerability is like, okay, well, I teach, uh, I do a few other things, but how am I doing in terms of my own learning, right? What are the habits of mind and heart that I possess that may get in the way uh, of, of, of continuing to learn, right? Versus positioning me to, in fact, grow in that. I think that's something that we need to explore a bit more, you know, the habits of the mind, the habits of the heart in relation to truth and ignorance. I have a question about <clears throat> the role of uh, the other in one's quest mm. for education, because let's say I'm, I'm, I'm pursuing a particular subject or topic on my own, and I'm arriving at false information, but <clears throat> I don't realize it, you know? So whether it's, mm. it's an ally or, or, or even just a stranger on the street, um, what is the role of the other as like a, a factor or resource in one's own education? Is it a necessary ingredient or like, you know, like how can you guys kind of elaborate on that a little bit? I'll say, I'll say something. And then I definitely want to hear also your own thoughts about that, Lewis, because, uh, you know, as, as a one who's in the arts as you are, um, I think there's, there's much to say about the other, right? Because, um, but I'll, I'll, I'll let you <laughs> explore that. I, my mind is naturally running with some of that stuff there. Um, I, I, I'll just say this, um, wisdom, uh, begins also with the awareness of, of, of what is. And so look, we have 
two eyes, we have two ears, we have one mouth. There is a, an inherent logic I think we can discern just from the anatomical framework of our being, right? If I have two ears and one mouth, I should, I should listen twice as much than I speak, which, which I'm probably modeling poorly in this podcast, right? <laughs> but that is to say, that, that is to say um, right, I, I need the other. I need others to help shape and inform uh, my own thinking, right? Uh, you know, the book of Proverbs in, 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 in the Bible, right? Iron sharpens iron. And, you know, to the degree in which I begin to think of knowledge acquisition as a kind of isolated, solipsistic phenomenon is to the degree in which I'm going to continually grow in, in, a, in a bad way in ignorance, right? Uh, and so I need others. I really need others. And I think my very body, my being kind of points to that. Can we go down that trail? How, sure. how would learning in isolation lead to like more ignorance? I'm curious about yeah. that. I think in one sense, because we naturally, and, and, and I have certain theological and metaphysical commitments behind this position that I'm about to articulate. But I think it's because we're naturally fallen. We're prone to, to, to self-deception in a lot of ways. And so if I don't have recourse to others, even if the others are coming to me through books, right? It's like, ah, I don't need, I'll just figure it out on my own. Um, I may be able to discern certain truths out there and within me but it's always going to be limited. And, 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 and that's a dangerous thing. Not that limits are dangerous, but that as Edwin was pointing to earlier, what I'm able to discern may just be partial truths, right? And, and, I, and I can make an idol out of that partial truth. Mm -hmm. I may think, oh, what I discovered and then kind of like exalt that. Yeah, mm -hmm. this is how it, this is what it is, right? And, and I don't allow myself or my thinking to be challenged or even possibly critiqued mm. um so those are some ways in which i think that can that can happen yeah and i, I, want, I want to throw this back to you lewis because one way that i interpret what joe just said is uh in uh in creativity and in innovation um i don't think it's possible uh, it's very very limited uh creativity in itself is very very limited when you don't have an, an other and other can come in the form of, again, dialogue or books, right? You, you know, a book is the voice of the person in, in a lot of ways. Um, but when, you, when, you, when, you're, when, you're in, when you're when you're in this creative or artistic mode, I think a lot of people think that it just comes from your, you know, from, from, your, from, from your internally from your mind. Um, but what I found when I'm most creative is when I'm actually observing others' arts, um, I'm, I'm, I'm being inspired in ways by um, having uh, these, these sort of uh, dialogues, whether it's visual, whatever, you know, with, um, with, with, with the other. And I'm not even sure, right? And that, that's why I wanted to pose a question to you. I, I'm not even sure if you can, like a most, our most um, creative or innovative um, um, sort of um, art or whatever you want to call it, mm. I don't know if that's possible without you observing and 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 sort of uh, engaging in others art is 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 that true i mean what's your thoughts there i i mean personally i think it's a 
a necessary condition to to the artistic experience to have the viewer or the the listener the person kind of receiving the art i i think like a a work of art can only be a work of art when it's seen by like another um just just mm. in the sense that uh mm. I don't know, like, it's just like, if, if I create, ultimately, if I'm creating something, and it doesn't get seen, I, I, I would submit that it's like not, it wouldn't be considered of artistic value, just in the sense that, wow. uh, yeah, like, it just it can't be received, you know, like the whole, a tree falls in the forest, I think really does apply mm. to art. Um, mm. And the irony is, like, as an artist, like, <laughs> you know it's it's torturing to to create the art in a type of isolation like most art forms um even with video like recently like a lot of like freelance filmmakers and and videographers a part of the process is done in isolation like just necessarily like when i'm editing and stuff like thankfully there isn't someone just kind of sitting there having to watch me like organize the clips and and do like the painful process of laying it out and stuff but even if, even if I was like a hermit, if this thing that I'm creating, I, I would want another person other than me to see the, the completed work, um, to experience that transfer of value that um, you guys have like so eloquently have been discussing. Um, yeah, so I think it's like a necessary condition for to have the viewer involved in that whole process of, of art and, and just, because I think art is a type of education in some form or way it's it's educating something my goodness that 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 is that's a a super sexy idea <laughs> it really is because you know my mind naturally then goes to this idea that my my goodness art is so deeply embedded in the in the anthropos in the in the human being as such, right? It's like, it's, it's part of our, our native tongue. Why, why am I saying that? Why do I think that? Why am I, why is my mind naturally going there? Because if art requires the artist and the observer, right? Two subjects, mm -hmm. um, that seems to be a beautiful extension to, to, to the human being. Right, that the human being needs others. Right, none of us are an island onto ourselves in so many different ways. Mm. Um, and also, what what comes to mind is is the philosopher George Berkeley. Um, you know, notwithstanding his own metaphysical uh, uh, and I, I, you know, his idealism that he's articulating, but he famously said, "Right, to be is to be perceived." And what you're saying here is that art is ever only art to the extent in which it is able to be viewed or engaged or experienced. And again, I, I see that as an extension to, to the human being, right? Um, and, and, and it's interesting to think about that, dude, in, in mm -hmm. relation to education. But Edwin, I, I looked like you wanted to share something too. No, I just, I just wanted to make a point here. As, you, as the both of you were saying, especially as you were talking about that, Lewis, I wanted, to, I wanted you to, uh, to know, I wanted the audience to know that the model that I was placed on what you were saying is one mm. of a creator, right? Mm. It's, you know, everyone, just, you know, everyone thinks art and they start to like bucket it into, oh, it's the things that we do with paintbrushes and whatever. Mm -hmm. Art, is, art is, is an analogy for creation, right? So everything you were saying, I was sort of, I was, 
I was um, using that as a model for, you know, art as the creation of man, art as the, the things that we do to create other things, right? Mm. The architecture that Joe was talking about, right? The architect is understanding that because he's a creator in a lot of ways. Um, so creation is the, the, what you were saying, right? If you, if you just want to replace the word art with creation, right? Is, 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 is so, so I want folks to you know, go back and listen to what you said with, and replace art with creation because the, it, was, it, it was very, uh, in, in, um, in not only inspiring, but uh, informative to, uh, to hear you say that. Yeah. But, but wait a minute, Edwin, I mean, you, you work in the field of education. Right. Um, so I want to ask you, um, and maybe you can, you can speak a bit to, to what you do here uh, in, your, in your response, but, but why then are so many institutions moving contra this awareness of the importance of arts, right? Mm -hmm. That the arts and the humanities continue to be dropped away. Ah, you know, we need the STEM, right? We need yeah, the sciences right. and the engineering. And not to downplay that, of course, mm -hmm. but, but but if art is this dynamo that allows for a creativity, right? And the expression of the self and seems to be so much more uh, embedded in that, what's going on in the, in, the, in the world of education from the top down, from the administrative uh, perspective? Wow, uh, it's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> there's so much, so much there. Um, yeah. But the, uh, so, a lot of what I do currently is uh, investments into different school models. And I deeply, deeply uh, believe in the, uh, the experimental process that a lot of schools are going through and when they have the flexibility to do those things and learn from that process. Uh, so you know, I, I'm, I'm currently involved in the investments in, in some of those different school models, and I think they're very important. Um, interestingly enough, the most effective schools are those who've actually figured out how to reintegrate the arts and humanities. So there are, there are isolated, whether charter schools and so on, isolated schools who, that are actually uh, doing that work. And their, their, their math and literacy score, which is what we measure them on, is, is through the roof, right? Interesting. And so, so, so there's something there, right? That that um, that we've missed, right? Some of the, one of the best school I know, for example, have one of the you know because music is a is a form of art as well. Yes, some of the best music program, right? Um, and 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 so on, right? And you could you could see that correlation. Um, so, I think part of the problem is I, I alluded to earlier is that um, schools are now institutions that are being tailored to the uh, organizations that currently control our societies mm -hmm. which is large corporations mm -hmm. right and yeah. so every every time we talk about schools we talk about oh are they prepared to do x and what are the incentives for that right because we pay we pay a premium to those who study the skills necessary to make a profit mm -hmm. uh, so uh, you know, I'm not going to go into the critique of capitalism um, and or in, anything like that, but the, the the reality is that we we currently um, are optimized around this uh, this this pursuit to um, to 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 build on, on on an expansion of these sort of corporations, organizations, and so on, right? Uh, and and funny enough, Joe, when you said that, one of the our uh, most alarming concerns right now around the younger generation is that they 
they have there's always this uh, uh, dichotomy, right? Mm-hmm. And it was a great article on this dichotomy between I go into I go into being educated so I could build wealth. I go into being educated so I can help people, right? Mm-hmm. There's you know. You always saying, yes. should I be a psychologist, a sociologist, or yes. you know, or should I, you know, just get a JD and become a lawyer? And mm. and everyone goes through that trade-off. And there's an alarming rate of people choosing the wealth. And what they're mm. saying to themselves is, once I've gone to done the wealth, because I think everyone, you know, fundamentally uh, want to do good for the world. But once mm. they what they say to themselves is, once I get the wealth, then I'll go back and I'll help people, mm. right? And that's happening in an alarming rate. Uh, the, you know, this this almost disengagement with civics uh, is, is is what is, is what that article was talking about. Um, yeah. So uh, you could see that the, part of the rationale around that is again this optimization of schools that says, well, art is not as important. We just need you to be to to get these skills. And what that creates is what you know this common phrase of cogs in a wheel is uh you know individuals who can actually do a particular type of work or understand a particular type of thing so they could fit into the system so that they can you know perpetuate this uh uh this machine that uh, we call corporations and that's going to foster all kinds of negative fallouts right victor frankl's uh, work in logotherapy man's search for meaning that classic book and when he speaks of how the current, so much of the ailments that, that many folks um, are experiencing, ailments of the soul and of the psyche, can be traced back to a kind of existential void, this, this, this embedded nihilism that perhaps they're not even aware, right, mm-hmm. uh, that they're doing it, but, but they're, leave, they're living in such a way where uh, th- there's a lack of meaning. Mm-hmm. And then they turn naturally to uh, the pursuit of, of, of power or pleasure thinking that those things by 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 increasing that that will somehow solve things internally but it doesn't right and so if we have a system that's just cultivating people to be cogs in the machine um and and not having people think more dynamically and globally about themselves in relation to the world uh, and values and whatnot, which can which can only really come from the humanities, from the arts. Then, then we're setting up an entire uh, system that's just going to continually cause crises mm-hmm. all the way down to each individual. Well, this is this is Zach Stein's point was what you just said, Joe. Is that uh, we're we're actually currently in the midst of an educational crisis, mm-hmm. um, and and what and there's symptoms of that specifically when we talk about the. Uh, uh, it, there's this, this nihilistic perspective uh, yeah. uh, around, well, what is truth anyways? And is it even yeah. helpful? Yeah. Well, you know you're in an educational crisis when people start to ask, challenge truth, right? right. Like, Do I even need to know the truth? What's the point? Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that's because they're finding meaning in other things. Um, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I have a question about, like, <clears throat> putting our conversation in the context of the the pandemic and um the pandemic kind of shook up the education system here in the united states and around the world um but i also think what you what you guys are just sharing now about the the different pursuits that people seem to be taking in in my perspective that seemed to be those pursuits were seemed to be amplified during the pandemic is there 
Is there a silver lining to the education infrastructure being shaken up, like for things kind of going through such a an enormous change during the pandemic? Like, can you guys speak into education ignorance within that context? Um, yeah, like, do you do you think that are you hopeful about the future? Like in that context and things being shaken up or or is there a different perspective that you have on on education ignorance in light of the the pandemic i don't that's all you bro i don't <laughs> no it's I, it's a lot to you know yeah no i mean Edwin, let, go ahead, man. I, I, I yeah, this, yeah, I, I know. Yeah. Well, there, there's something I want to throw back at you, Joe and Lewis. Um, yeah, but yeah, the, yeah. Uh, the, uh, so, the pandemic accelerated a lot of things, and you know, in economics, there's this term being thrown around, and I think it's, it, it's, 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 it, it fits, which is that we're in the midst of a poly crisis, which is um, we're used to sort of single type crises, right? 2008 housing crisis, right? Caused the, you know, so on. Um, during the mid, the, the pandemic, it was like, oh, it's just, it's COVID. Yeah, COVID crisis. Mm. But what, what the pandemic then did was perpetuated an economic crisis and this educational crisis mm. and this, right? Now, now we're talking about like, uh, you know, global climate crisis. Like we're, we have crises on top, you know, on top of each other. Right, and one of the one of the uh, points that was that 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 has been made is that uh, uh, an educational crisis is is a symptom of societal change moving at a pace much faster than our ability to actually educate our populace. Right, so we we are in a if you if you look at ignorance as the difference between you know what what is you know all all that is out there and our and our understanding of it that gap has been inc increasing so we be, we're becoming more ignorant mm. right? i think a lot of people think that oh you know i know more than a medieval man does right but they didn't have the technology they didn't they didn't deal with mm. the complexities <clears throat> and crises that we currently are dealing with mm. right so I, I think ignorance can only be measured in a relative term and I think from the perspective of that gap, we are much more ignorant than the medieval man, right? And, and we have a problem, right? Or we more, you know, a caveman is probably even better, right? Because mm -hmm. they, all they needed to do was eat. Mm. <laughs> they, they weren't dealing with the, the type of crisis we were dealing right, with. Right, yeah. Right? And so in, in, in that context, they're much better off. Because mm. I, I, you know, I don't know how to feed myself without mm. the economic structures that are currently in place. Mm. <laughs> right? It will be hard for me to chase down, uh, you know, even a chicken, <laughs> let alone, <laughs> let alone like you know whatever they were chasing. Mm. Um, so, I, I there is what COVID has shown us is that uh, um, the world is moving at a much faster pace than than we ever imagined. And that we need to change our educational system to fit that. Um, and we're we're failing horribly right now, right? Because if if, if you ask anyone that knows organizations, educational systems are the slowest when it comes to the pace of change. Um, but what I'm seeing now, right? Because this is what COVID did to it, forced us. It was a forcing mechanism, right? Yeah. We 
you know, I knew, I knew a, a slew of teachers that couldn't communicate or teach via, you know, online. And we just had to do it like overnight, boom, mm. teach overnight. Right. Yeah. And, and everyone was forced into it. And that's what I'm optimistic about is that, uh, there's a, there's a sense of urgency that that is acting as a forcing me- mechanism um, towards innovation in this space, and I think it'll happen very quickly, very soon. For me, the great difficulty with the pandemic was teaching online um, because I am so dependent on on being present with my students viscerally in a brick and mortar institution in a, in a classroom setting, for example, uh, to read the, the class, to have this kind of back and forth engagement. I, I, that's my preference. That's something that I love. And, and, and it seems to me on my own experience now going on a couple of years, as I continue to teach online, most of my classes are still online, uh, though synchronous using zoom live, uh, it's not the same, and and of course this this goes to the to the truth that technology always does two things: it it gives something, but it takes something away, mm. right? That's what technology does. It it affords a new something, but by virtue of that newness, there's something that's subtracted or or threatened mm. um, by by means of a kind of subtraction. And um, so personally, you know, as a professor, as an educator very difficult to to navigate that both my own learning curve learning how to use the technology and then articulate myself and engage what a student's gauge the students mediated through a screen that was like tough mm-hmm. um students themselves wrestling not only with the material through this new medium but also existentially psychologically with the pandemic and the loss of lives that they they had to deal with and and sickness and all of that which speaks to the importance of of a global education that is to say, we want to um, see, we want to create a society in which people are being informed, again, in the humanities, how to deal with crises, whether it's a pandemic or an epidemic, whether it's something else, where they have the resources to um, reflect on questions of mortality, of deep disruption. And all of that there. But again, if if the educational system has failed to, and, and of course we, we can ask, well, is that even the job of the educational system? Mm. Uh, even though education happens in many different platforms mm-hmm. in many different ways, if education is not providing this, uh, then we're going to have a, a bigger problem, right? Than just people dying, right? Uh, or getting sick. Mm. Um, so these are some of the experiences that I've been having. Um, Silver lining, yeah, yeah, I, I think so. Um, and as far as it forces us to be innovative, forces us to be adaptive, uh, those are good things. Um, growth happens through pain, through challenges, through difficulties. Um, but it's 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 been difficult as an educator, as somebody who's uh, rolling that out. Um, just kind of closing out this conversation about education and ignorance. For someone who is making that choice to take their self-education more seriously or, or just kind of just having that paradigm shift about education and its role to living um, the good life, what are, what are some practical resources or, 
or methods or mental models that that you guys can kind of impart on the listener um, things to consider and and pursue in light of this conversation? There's a quote that's misattributed to Aristotle, uh, but it's it's a nice quote, nevertheless, which goes something like this: "The mark of an educated mind is the ability to entertain a thought without necessarily accepting it." Um, that ability to entertain ideas and concepts and thoughts that may be at once alien to us or even threatening to us, that ability to entertain and to enter into dialogue rather than shouting mat matches, um, speaks to the kind of disposition I think we ought to have or, or cultivate in order to obtain so that we can be lifelong learners. So we don't fall into this black hole of, um, an isolated perspective, right? That requires us to be challenged, requires again, us to have the other, right? The dialogue and whatnot, right? Um, uh, that, that's something immediately that comes to mind when, when I think about that. And you alluded to this, Lewis, um, uh, it, the fastest way to being educated um, around a particular topic is to understand this framework or mental model. The more you can focus on the mental model or shifts that you're that that is occurring, the better off you'll be. So you almost want to. There's this like it's like almost a meta education, right? Mm. It's like trying to understand <clears throat> the, uh, the 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 general logic around some of these things in the clearest um, way to uh, to 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 actually being equipped to do that is is through philosophy, right? Philosophy is back. You know, this is the original way of thinking about search for truth. Mm -hmm. um, so I would, I would, I would actually ask folks to, you know, go study something. What, however, mm -hmm. whether it's through a book, um, Coursera, whatever it is, um, go back to ground zero and uh, learn learn philosophy if you haven't, and if you have, continue to push. Um, and I think it will be important. But the the other thing I would say is uh, the faster you can understand what what medium is is educating you and what medium is propaganda the better off you'll be right mm -hmm. uh and you know to me i'll be i'll bring you know, just as me personally um i i i don't even listen to news anymore right mm -hmm. I, I try to understand facts right to say I, well you know what's going on in the world right so as a leader um it, which is weird because you know back in the days the mark of a leader ceo and so on is that they would have the wall street journal in front of them they're reading, right. you know they're they're just <laughs> digesting news um i think leaders today uh, understanding the uh this these poly crisis that we formed in and then the uh the uh the the power of the propaganda machine has has just decided you know enough is enough uh they're they, and they're be, being becoming more clear-cut about the medium of information that they're that they're digesting, um, so the that's one of the best ways to to get to uh, to 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 you know back on track on an educational process because the propaganda process can take you awry and it it, it it's very hard to course correct once that's happened. Let me just jump in and also say this, um, uh, perhaps as a closing statement on my end. Uh, you know, since Edwin, you're, you're, you know, you're encouraging folks to, to explore philosophy uh, as, as a salient discipline for, for a proper orientation for lifelong learning and whatnot. You know, one of the questions that is asked often 
uh, in in the academic world from students usually, but also from administrators is like, well, what's the purpose of philosophy, right? <laughs> what am I going to do with philosophy? Um, and and the question itself, and as valid as it may be, uh, reveals a, a utilitarian approach to education, right? The, that is to say, to think of education purely as a tool, as a means to some other end. What am I going to do with philosophy? I try to reorient the question for my uh, for for those who come and ask me that question by 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 putting it like this. Um, the question rather should be put: uh, What can philosophy do with you? Not so much what you can do with philosophy as a tool, mm. and of course it could be used in that sense. But what can it do with you? And um, I think that's important. Going all the way back to Aristotle for example, right? He will, as he's thinking about epistemology and specifically education, he's thinking about differing domains of knowledge and he'll speak of servile arts, right? The servile arts, um, things like engineering, let's say. Um, helpful, great, right? Amazing, finances, excellent, right? Because they are servile in that they, are, they have uh, an instrumental value, mm -hmm. right? They're tools useful to something else. They serve us in that capacity. When it comes to something like philosophy and the arts, um, uh, it, it's a liberal art. That's where we get the word, right? Liberal educational, liberal arts. Um, now, like, what does that mean? Liberal, free. Um, so that means, um, you know, in a certain sense, and this is what I say to my students usually when they come in uh, to philosophy for the first time, you guys signed up for the most useless class <laughs> that you'll ever take. Like, the most useless. And they're like shocked, like, damn, this guy. <laughs> like, oh, okay. <laughs> useless. Yes, useless because it's not a servile art, mm. right? It's useless the same way uh, uh, looking into your beloved eyes is, uh, your, your beloved's eyes is useless. Mm. Useless like flying to Santorini to watch the sunrise is mm. useless. Useless like going out to play basketball with your friends is useless, right? Useless precisely because it is the highest, because it is an invitation to enter into contemplation, to fully experience the higher and the deeper mm. that that that's the thing right and so we don't want to minimize the servile arts we don't want to just say ah to hell with 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 engineering and sciences no we don't want to say that uh but we want to recognize the proper context in which to think of these things and i think that's really helpful edward and joe thank you guys so much for this conversation about education ignorance i look forward to many more conversations with you guys whatever the the subject and topic is like i feel like this conversation is kind of like a foundation of all future conversations as far as like educating ourselves the mental models of figuring out new things and, and challenging and entertaining thoughts without necessarily accepting them so thank you so much for for all the knowledge that you guys shared you're welcome thank you hey thanks louis <laughs>